remember visiting this person in South Florida. When I walked the ground, I was walking on it. It almost felt like a trampoline. I've never walked on ground like that. And the only thing that happened is they let nature do its own work. And it was crawling with life, everything from lizards to rats to roaches or whatever, things that grow that everyone else says, oh, we got to kill those and get rid of them. They just let them continue to grow. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to episode number 135 of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. On today's episode, I have Dr. Michael Haley. He is a passionate chiropractor and a health coach. He emphasizes a healthy lifestyle and a nutrition-dense diet as a means to achieve optimal well-being. His health principles are based on science, tradition, and in line with the scriptures, which I enjoyed. Dr. Haley owns and operates Stockton Aloe One, makers of and distributors of 100% pure raw aloe vera personal care products. He also maintains his private practice as an owner and physician at Agape Chiropractic in Pompano Beach, Florida. He is an expert on photonutrition and superfoods. He graduated from the University of Tampa and went on to Life College of Chiropractic, where he earned his doctorate in 1995. He is known by his colleagues as Organic Mike for his teachings in the areas of organic chemistry and nutrition. And today we are diving into aloe vera, which is a new topic for me, and it was quite interesting. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please rate and review this show. It means a lot to me. Thank you for listening. That means a lot to me as well. Enjoy this episode. Dr. Michael Haley, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. What a pleasure to have you today to talk about the gut health and aloe vera. Tom, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to sharing with your audience. You have a huge audience. And I want to talk today about something that they probably already heard a hundred times, but I want to put it in a new light. That's possible. I know it is in a way where everything they've learned up to this point makes so much sense that they know all the more how they can implement changes to their current ways that will help them live longer better, happier, healthier. Let's make some changes. Let's make some changes today. Let's make some changes and let's talk about it and let's get them educated on how they can make changes. One of the things you said earlier today when we were speaking a few minutes ago was how one of your guests said that people have this like huge mouth on their body. I've never quite heard that before. I've never heard the skin referred to as a mouth before it's a very large mouth and we don't and most people don't get what you put on your skin is absorbed yeah. into your system and your gut 
and has major influences on your gut. Yeah. And when you said that, it got me thinking because we know that doctors will even give you pain medicines and hormones on patches because your skin will eat and drink the things that are on that patch. And of course, your skin excretes waste, just like the gut. Exactly. I've thought of the gut being as like, remember those things that, that you would get as a kid? They were like uh, little balloons, but there was like a tube going through them. Uh, they were like squish balls, and you can roll them up and down your fingers. Right. And it's funny because really our bodies are a lot like that, only we have this skeleton that stops them from rolling in and out. What's on the inside is never on the outside. But technically, just like that squish ball, that tube going up the center, everything that's in it is really still outside the body. Just like when you put that squish ball on your finger and your finger isn't inside, it's not in the wet part of the squish ball. Our guts, we put stuff in that tube and it somehow has to be processed and passed through that to really become a part of who we are, to get absorbed into the blood and taken away and traveling to all the different parts of our body in the same way things, you know, are put back into the gut for excretion and there's exchange that happens. And along with all the unused foods that pass through and are eventually eliminated out the other end, it's a tube, it's an opening and it's really kind of continuous with our skin. It just, our skin just somehow folds in through our cheeks and our goes down our throat and into the stomach and small intestines, large intestines, out the other side. It's a tube. And when we start thinking of how that works, well, one, our whole body becomes important, as you said, because cosmetics, things that we put on our skin, we have to look at that as if we're eating or drinking. But what about, and this is where I want to make a significant change in people's thinking. What about the things that go in our mouth? And I know you've taught them to eat clean and we've talked about chemicals and how all of those things affect that internal environment. But what is really going on when we put something in our mouth, swallow it, how does that digestion work and what is made in that process. That's what I want to talk about today. That sounds good to me. We're going to cover a lot of stuff ground today. And before we dive into the gut and the skin and the aloe vera, I want to know what your catalyst was into the health and wellness realm. And especially in, in following up with the doctor of chiropractic from Life University here in, in Atlanta. I, when I was about 13 years old, my father had a terrible back issue and he was laid up in bed for weeks, really. And he went to this chiropractor and within a couple of days, he was doing so much better. It was like, I got my dad back all of a sudden. And what's funny, we've heard people go to the chiropractor and the chiropractors say, okay, come back, but bring your whole family. Cause everyone needs chiropractic. And uh, what happens often is people kind of laugh and they're like, yeah, we need chiropractic. Come on. The guy's, the guy's just trying to, he just wants to sell you more services and adjust people that don't need it. Well, my whole family pretty much said, nah, I'm not going, but I said, I want to go. And this chiropractor checked my spine, found some things that needed changing, adjusted me. 
I didn't have any problem when I went, or at least I didn't think I did. But I remember going to football practice afterwards, and I just felt like I was floating on the field. Hmm. I, I felt lighter, quicker, had more agility, and just felt amazing. Something was different. And to me, it was almost like I saw this chiropractor literally doing things that I read about that Jesus had done. And I wanted to be like Jesus. <laughs> but no, really, I saw changes happening. I thought, that is so cool. It was so easy for this person and to make some little subtle changes without me even understanding. But I could tell that something was different and I felt better. And I wanted that and I wanted to be able to do that. Unfortunately, after years of school, I came out not knowing everything. I knew enough to get in practice and I made, I changed some lives through chiropractic. But the reality is to really make changes and really change people's lives. There's nutrition, there's exercise, there's rest. There's the thought processes that people have. In addition to having that properly functioning nervous system in chiropractic school, I knew how to affect the nervous system. But what about those other four areas that were so important for health? And here I am 27 years later, still learning those other areas. So. Well, we're, yeah, we're all still learning. I mean, we're going to dive into gut health here, but well, actually, let's just go there. I mean, literally in a way that no one's ever heard before. Right. I don't think. No, I mean, because we talk about the gut, but we've like I've said, we said earlier is that the skin is one giant mouth, which mm -hmm. goes to the gut. And yep. eating, just the process of eating, it all starts with the smell of the food. It also, yep. it also, what else comes into play is our state of mind when we eat. If you're in a fight or flight mode versus a rest and digest mode. So yep. this, there's a lot at play. And I'm, I believe this with all my heart is that all disease begins in the gut. I agree. I completely agree. One, one thing that I heard that really, and, and this is something that over years I've really come to understand that. And it, it started with learning from Jordan Rubin, who was talking about soil. And Jordan Rubin essentially started a company that makes food from dairy and meat products to cultured beverages and probiotics and all kinds. He, he really came to understand where food comes from. And he personally would use three criteria that I think are very important. He being, I believe he's a messianic Jew, his faith. So he would really hold on to the scriptures and what they, they said about food. But that wasn't the ultimate source because when you read the scriptures, we kind of got a, a flavor for what kind of foods you might eat scripturally, but it doesn't say anything about really how they are raised. So we study tradition and that became very important. For instance, traditional, traditionally animals are out in the fields. Traditionally, right. chickens aren't fed corn. They're not just sprinkled on, they actually eat in the wild. And there's something else, and that's science. Cows eat grass, and scientifically, so traditionally, cows are okay scripturally. They're supposed to be eating grass, and scientifically, grass-fed beef would have more omega-3s. Now, I'm not saying go eat red meat, 
That's another whole controversy. <laughs> but that's how he looked at things. And that gave me a new understanding of, okay, there's more than one criteria. Organic isn't the ultimate. And what's funny, he called this company Beyond Organic because he looked at more than just a little green stamp on the bottle. There's beyond that. There's things we can do above and beyond. When it came to his animal foods, for instance, he talked about nurturing the soil back to health and how over a couple of years that could really change the soil. And I remember visiting this person that grew a lot of food on a small property in South Florida, and they had bought that property just a couple of years earlier and had only been farming it literally like a quarter acre that the home was on. They had so much food growing around that home. And when I walked for the tour, them showing me all the different things they were growing, there was something weird about the ground I was walking on. It, it almost felt like a trampoline. It was like soft and, and had this almost bounce, like a little sponginess to it. And I've been walking around in Florida for a long time. I've never walked on ground like that. And the only thing that happened is they changed their practices on that property in the couple of years that they owned it. They grew things fell to the ground. They didn't use pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. They let nature do its own work. And it was crawling with life, everything from lizards to rats to, to roaches or whatever, things that grow that everyone else says, oh, we got to kill those and get rid of them. They just let them continue to grow and the fruit fall down and the animals would eat there and everybody's pooping all over the place. And the soil was very rich with bacteria, worms, people would buy worm castings and use it as fertilizer and people buy cow manure and use it as fertilizer. Well, these things, these, what makes soil, it's essentially feces from bugs, worms, the birds eat the worms and the alligators eat the birds and everything's pooping all over the place from the bacteria all the way up to the largest animals. And then there's things growing in that dirt there. The, the trees have these big, huge primary roots that we can see. And then they branch into smaller secondary roots and they have tertiary roots sinking into that moist, nutritious soil to absorb their nutrients, making delicious organic fruit. And things that are grown this way have more color, more taste, more flavor, more aromas because they have more nutrients. They're richer in the reasons we eat them. And scientifically, we know that organic fruits and vegetables have more nutrition than conventional. Now, if we contrast that with conventional, conventionally, we're trying to grow the most food in the smallest space. So we do that by getting rid of the weeds. How do we do that? We spray them with weed killer herbicides. Oh, but we don't want to kill the vegetation. Well, let's genetically modify them so they'll be roundup ready. And that way we can douse the whole field, get rid of the weeds, grow more corn, for instance. Oh, what about the bugs? Let's make the corn produce its own pesticide. And that way, when the bugs eat it, the bugs will die because it'll explode their intestines open. That sounds like a great idea. Right. <laughs> then we'll feed that to the people and don't worry, it won't explode their guts. They'll just have chronic inflammatory diseases and but exactly. they won't know it's us. We didn't cause that. Well, what about the soil? Oh, well, the so it's going to kill the soil too. It's going to kill all the microbes in there too. Well, how are we going to make the corn grow? Well, we'll just, we'll give them fertilizers. They won't get the nutrition from the soil. We'll just sprinkle it with the. So it's a big kill the soil, chemically manufactured uh, food. Yeah. 
Now, let's bring that same line of thinking now into our bodies. And this is where I like to look at food and our role in digestion from a completely different perspective, because a lot of people think we eat and then somehow our stomachs are like little Vitamix or food processors in there. And they somehow they really you know break up the food and make the nutrients available for our, our guts to absorb. But what's really happening? Well, digestion starts in your mouth. And your job is to chew up that food and work in all those digestive enzymes. And, you know, enzymes are neat little uh, molecules that start these processes of breaking down the fats and proteins and carbohydrates, making them into smaller things that your body can use. But it starts with chewing, which is funny because I always learn from looking at extremes. I, I might watch the Nathan's hot dog eating contest and watch these guys swallow <laughs> hot dogs whole one after another. Right. And it's like, okay, well, you didn't chew anything. And it's probably a good thing you didn't chew those, but you didn't chew anything. You didn't get the digestion started with the digestive enzymes, breaking them down. So now those things are going into your stomach and they're going to somehow try to, the, the stomach acids will try to work on them and break them down as much as possible. But quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if you poop out a sausage. It's not going to be digested. It's just going to be a little changed. Now, when we eat food, we're supposed to really break it up, get that process going. And then it goes into this acidic environment in our stomachs, which are great for taking care of any microbes and stuff. It's not really going to change our vegetation and our fruits much, but it will have a significant impact on things like animal foods, meat, dairy, eggs, fish. And then as it passes through that digestive tract, it gets into our small intestine where enzymes continue to work, but also now the microbes go to work on it. And a lot of people don't realize that this microbial atmosphere of from just like the soil outside, all right? It's like the soil outside. We have bacteria and protozoa and there's funguses and there's probably even worms doing their job, consuming the food that we ate, literally pooping it out or making this bio sludge. And that is equivalent to the soil that is outside. That is so important for the vegetation, for the trees, for the plants to grow in. They need that healthy, nutritious soil. So when we eat, we're really not giving food to our intestines. We're giving food, we're giving nutrients to the microflora, we're feeding them. And this is where the significant change in our thinking has to occur. We're feeding them, we're chewing the food, we're repairing it for them, we're giving something that's nutritious to them, which is going to be chemical free because we don't want to kill them with chemicals. There's going to be the things that they like in it, like fiber. We think of fiber as prebiotic. What's a prebiotic? It feeds them. And, and that's where vegetation can be so beneficial. There's so much fiber in fruits and vegetables. And as they're consuming these things and continuing to break down, they're emitting this sludge. Now, our intestines have these big folds in them that are like, like the primary roots on a tree. 
and, and there's villi and then there's like microvilli, which are like secondary roots and little fine hairs on them that are like the tertiary roots sinking into the soil of our intestines. We're making soil for our intestines, for the roots of our intestines to absorb nutrients from, for our body to take to our body, just like the tree takes them from the bottom all the way up to the top, delivering it to the whole tree so that it can be healthy. Now, chemicals, there's chlorinated water. What's the chlorine in the water for? It's there with the sole purpose of killing. It's there to kill bacteria, mold, yeast, fungus, whatever might be in the water supply, protozoa, but sterilize it. If we're drinking chlorinated water, we're drinking something that has something in there to sterilize. We don't want to sterilize our intestines. What about other chemicals that are in the food? Artificial colors, flavors, hydrogenated foods. They hydro hydrogenate things to make them last on the shelf longer. How do they last on the shelf longer? Yes, it's less suitable for microbes to consume. So now it can last longer. I, I like asking people, what's the purpose of a preservative? People say it's, well, it makes the food last longer. No, that's the side effect. The purpose is to kill mold, yeast, fungus, and bacteria. A food scientist will look at that food and say, well, the shelf life, it doesn't have a shelf life. It, you can't leave it on the shelf. It starts decomposing right away. Well, what if we put this in it? Hey, that's really good. We stop growing bacteria. Oh, but it gets moldy. Oh, we need it. Well, it gets fungus. Okay, well, what can we add to get rid of the fungus? And food scientists figure out this combination of preservatives. That's why there's more than one preservative to deal with all the different kinds of microbes that might take over that food. And remember, when we eat food, we're feeding microbes. Mm -hmm. We can't feed them food that has chemicals in designed to kill them and expect them to be healthy and do their job well. Is it any wonder why we have so many inflammatory bowel conditions? And I bet you if you and I, just for a goof, let's go back and forth a few times. Tell me the name of one inflammatory bowel disease. Oh, or something, something IBS. People, IBS, okay. I might say, okay, acid reflux. You could probably name another one. GERD. Yeah, okay. Let me think. I'll well, you already down. had that one. I'll move in my mind. Yeah, well, that GERD is a more advanced form of acid reflux. So I, I might say gastritis. And we, you and I could probably go back and forth, and if we give it enough time, we might think of 50 or more from Crohn's right. and celiac and inflammatory bowel disease, inflammatory. There's all kinds of names. In For the most part, they're there to describe the part of our intestines that's inflamed and a theoretical cause like, oh, well, let's say it has an immune component. Oh, well, we might say that's celiac with the immune component being some kind of allergy to uh, dairy and wheat. They're all inflammatory bowel conditions, likely from a gut flora imbalance. And if we go back a little further in our conversation now, we talked about our bodies being like this tube. And we, on the outside of it, we call it this digestive organ skin, and on the inside, it's the gut, right? And you and I can also say, well, okay, let's go back and forth naming some skin conditions. We'd say eczema, psoriasis, lichen planus, and we just go, there's a gazillion of them. They're all really the same inflammatory, bowel, chemically induced conditions 
something disrupted, whether it was an antibiotic given to you by a doctor, antibiotics in the food, which is more than just giving animals antibiotics. It's the pesticides, the herbicides, the fungus, antifungals. The, anything that is against life is really antibiotic, anti-life. It's an antibiotic. And it's everywhere. So that's where I think the critical change in our thinking is we're feeding them. What am I feeding them? Am I preparing my food for them? Am I chewing it up? And then we can go into the more uh, important things like, okay, now that we know we want chemical free food, what's the best food for this particular individual, which is going to be different. If I look at you and say, okay, um, this is what I eat and it's really healthy. So you should eat this. No, that's probably not going to work. Right. You're different than I am. And so we start figuring out the right kinds of foods to feed our microbiomes and, and help. You mentioned right. that the gut was probably the foundational cause of every disease. Okay. Pretty much. I mean, it is because there's a book by Mark Hyman called Eat Dirt. Mm. And that's basically, I mean, look at children today and how parents keep their children so clean and how messed up they really are. I mean, most children have ADD, OCD. But back when I was growing up and you were growing up, we played in the dirt. We ate dirt. We did. You know, we didn't. We, and if we picked food off the trees, we didn't worry about whether or not our hands were clean. And I still do that today. I don't yeah. worry. I mean, I wash right. my hands when needed, but it's not like I'm always washing my hands. But you see these mothers walking around with their children going, hey, stay in the dirt. And they're wiping their children's hands and that toxins from the and we're talking about the skin here. So you're wiping your children's hands with a, something that's cleaning their hands, but actually they're absorbing that into their gut. Right. And they and then we talk about dyes, and we're you're talked brought up dyes, and we're feeding them dyes, we're feeding them preservatives, we're feeding them seed oils, we're feeding them sugars, but yet we want them to be healthy, and we're yeah. and everything we're doing for that child is going against the grain of being healthy. Yeah, absolutely, completely. You know, and we sit and wonder why ADHD is so high and OCD is so high and all these children's things that are like, well, my child can't concentrate. Well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at what you're feeding your child or what they're putting in their gut or what they're putting on their skin. Or so, injecting. <laughs> or injecting. And it's a vicious circle. And, and I love watching this is one thing that I love watching just in the last four or five years since I went to school for functional medicine, I love watching all the research coming out against the gut. And we're going to dive into aloe today, but now I was reading an article last week about aloe vera and stem cells. And that, that's not something I know much about. Yeah. I was just, this is something new that I just came across, but our whole system is one big system. And if you're not going to feed your gut or take or put on your skin the stuff that is healthy for you, right? It's just a big. You're looking at one giant fire inside, and right. that's your gut. And that gut is responsible for your overall health, and including your brain, because the brain and the gut connection is very strong. Absolutely. We can think about it in the most dumbed down approach and say, if you and I sit down and have a couple shots of tequila 
within seconds, we'll probably feel it in our brains. And that started in the gut. And somehow that minor change in chemistry, a change in chemistry affected the way our brains are working. Right. And how much do we do from the thoughts that we have, the exercises we do, the things we eat that affect our chemistry and our chemistry affects the way our brain works. It's almost like our brains are at the mercy of our guts, our chemistry, because our chemistry is really at the mercy of our guts. The connection is huge. And it's beyond that because what we are learning now is that the cells in our gut the microbes actually talk to each other. We were talking about the, the soil outside. We understand there's actually some kind of like a, almost like a, an internet, underground internet would be the connection of fungus, almost like holding hands, making this like mesh network in the ground. There's communication that's happening in the microbes in the ground. And it happens in our intestines too. And not only that, but the cells that are in our bloodstream are carrying messages and they're largely under the influence of the gut. So this gut-brain connection is absolutely real and probably in more control than we ever imagined. When I was in school, I think it was on page three of Gray's Anatomy, and it said something like, the central nervous system, the brain, the spinal cord, controls and coordinates all of the functions of the human body and somehow like relates the body to its environment around. I forget the exact quote. But what I was taught was that the brain controlled everything. We're learning that's not necessarily the case. Yes, there's a hardwired system, and it's very important that the messages get from the brain to the body, but the chemistry and the cells, the communication that's happening under the influence of our gut, we really have to understand and nourish, feed that system and get rid of the interference, the chemicals, the crap that doesn't belong in there. I, I, and I have to throw this before I forget. <laughs> I, I mentioned about the, the fungal network. Right. Sometimes we look at this gut flora balance and, and we, oh, they have a candida or some kind of, you know, fungus infection. And, and we think, let's use chemicals to put that out. Is it possible that is actually there serving a purpose? Mm. Meaning, uh, and I, I read this in, I, I hope this is what I read in this book. I'm going to mention Dr. Natasha uh, Campbell McBride in her gut and physiology syndrome. I believe that's where I read that the fungus is actually there to clean up heavy metal toxicity. There's a lot oh. of truth to that. Okay. And we, with our limited brains think, Oh, you have too much of this. Let me change that with this chemical. I'm going to put in chemical, try to annihilate some of that microbe, that microbial balance that you currently have. It's probably there for a purpose. We're not, we have, we have a hard enough time getting a good mixture of dirt and water to make a good consistency of mud. When we start messing with the chemistry of the body using chemicals, one thing changes a gazillion things. Mm -hmm. We're not smart enough to understand the consequences of those things. Yep. And if you think about an antibiotic, sometimes we have to use stuff like that as triage. Right. But you have to look at the repercussions of that triage and how to fix that after the fact. 
You know, so sometimes you need a painkiller. Sometimes you need an antibiotic. But there's repercussions of taking such drugs that we have to remember we need to fix it after the fact. And that goes back to just the simple basics of eating healthy foods. And look, at we're in a weird situation here in COVID. Your immune system, I'm not going to harp on COVID a whole lot, but with the, the bottom line is this should be a wake-up call for America that this food, and I was thinking about your like shelf life, and I remember doing an experiment with a McDonald's hamburger and fries where I put it on the counter <laughs> and I let it sit for a year. And that never molded. It looked the exact same as it did the day. It looked the same way a year later as the day I bought it. Right. So when you drive by a McDonald's and you see all these people pulling out of the matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to be uh, the rebel in me comes out because I, I won't let them out of the driveway. <laughs> when I'm seeing them pulling out and they're, if there's a line backed up at the stop sign and they're trying to get out, I will not let them out because of the fact they're eating McDonald's. But that's a bad, I'm sorry. I have to say that. <laughs> it's the rebel in me that comes out because you shouldn't be eating at McDonald's. That was one of my biggest things about COVID is you're shutting down perfectly good restaurants, but yet you're leaving McDonald's open and Papa John's and all this, these, excuse my French, but shit food establishments that are causing the COVID. And, and I understand the lure because let's face it, I've had a Big Mac or two when I was a kid growing up and they are pretty tasty. And they are tasty. And even now I could look at it and say, oh man, I can understand why people would desire that. I Somehow I've survived not having one in a good, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 years. It's been a long time since I've been to a McDonald's, but I, I, I get it. People want the quick fix. It's just not gonna it's not conducive to health and longevity no nope and then you have to look at the digestion of that and we're since we're talking about the gut but the digestion of all those chemicals that you just put in your body and then you wonder why you have GERD or SIBO or candida and the bacteria has to be able to eat the food. If that right. burger can sit on your counter and not change, it's because they can't eat it. Yet you've got that fruit bowl there where you better eat it because next week it's not going to be edible anymore. It's going to be all decomposed. Right. If the food doesn't change, if the bugs won't eat it, you shouldn't either. <laughs> yep. So what, what, what is your take on like some fermented food? What, like fermented foods and kefirs or kombuchas. I'm not a big fan of kombuchas because it contains a lot of sugar. Yeah, I, I am quite the expert on the, those things. I, I believe uh, when it comes to kombucha, believe it or not, I actually had two 40-gallon brew tanks in my house for a season, and I was supplying a local <laughs> store. <laughs> well, yeah, I had that issue with it too because part of it was – culturing it to the point where it didn't have much of that sweetness. And at the same time, you didn't want, want it too acidic either. Right. You didn't want it to the point where it's going to burn a hole in your guts. <laughs> uh, and eventually it will turn to a vinegar. So it could be a healthy alternative if you like the bubbly, because it will, you know, naturally when things ferment, they get a little effervescent. You can have a, a grape juice, raw grape juice in your refrigerator. This happened to me was I'm saying it. I got raw grape juice from an Amish farmer. And one day I, you know, I forgot in the back of my refrigerator, but one day I found it and I opened it up and it made that little, 
when I opened up the cap and it was delicious. It was like a champagne. When things ferment, they get a little fizzy and that would be a healthy alternative when you just really want that, that bubbly, that fizz. Uh, it's a treat, but it's not necessarily a health food. It might be chemical free. That's a good thing. Yes, you feed those microbes with sugars and you could ferment beverages with other things than white processed table sugar, but that's pretty much what's used for making kombucha in most cases. Right. Now, other fermented foods, I am uh, a fan of, you know, sauerkraut, kimchi. Mm. I have a two and a half gallon batch of yogurt I make once a week for me and my family. We emphasize fruits and vegetables in our diet and we grow our own sprouts and we're salads and our, our salads are mixes of from fresh raw sprouts to cooked vegetables like cooked carrots and Brussels sprouts and, and pumpkin seeds and olives. And there's a lot of vegetation going on in our diets. We like fruit. There's a lot of dehydrated apples and bananas and, and, and mangoes going on in our house. That's the emphasis for me. My body type is not satisfied on just those things. When I include some animal foods, I personally do a lot better yeah. for me. Things like the cultured dairy. I like to culture it significantly. So it's not so high sugar, but I am full fat on the milk. I do better. I need that fat in my diet or I'm going to never stop eating. That's my body type. And yeah, it works good on animal foods and it works uh, good on a lot of vegetation. For me, it's that mix of things. Everyone's not the same. Some people are strict vegans and that's what works for them. My hat's off to you. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm a meat eater, but I, I make sure I, mean, I get my meat from the butcher box. Okay. Uh, so that's where I get my grass fed beef and my grass fed chicken because yeah, I, we have a source. We order our grass fed. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I won't eat anything but grass fed. And of course, when you go to a restaurant, that's not guaranteed. So every once in a while, I'm going to have a burger somewhere that is not grass fed, but, and I definitely won't be having a McDonald's burger, but, and then even at restaurants, so you're susceptible to seed oils. They pretty much destroy your gut. There's anyway, a lot, lot to learn. Yeah. But I think where we're, where we're safest is looking at, okay, truly unprocessed whole foods. Did, did this food exist a hundred years ago? Well, I mean, the, what was it? The Daniel diet or there was a biblical diet? Well, yeah. Daniel diet was a, a 10 day fruit and vegetable fast. I believe okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a fast. I was just trying to think, but I mean, I'm, I'm working on an episode in the future with biblical verses and health and wellness, because there's a ton of them. One of my favorite ones I have to bring it in. Cause you asked me about fermented foods and I talked right. briefly about grape juice. There, there's a scripture that says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine. And this is where I think it gets interesting. Then what comes right after that, use a little wine for your stomach and your frequent infirmities. Now, oh. this is where we go back and we say, well, what is wine? Well, 
wine of that day compared to now, see, we've really mastered fermentation and we've learned to make it a stronger alcoholic beverage using different techniques. And of course, wine, it will get old if you don't properly bottle it and maybe even add some preservatives to it. It'll like kind of continue to ferment mm-hmm. and, and then the flavor will change and eventually it'll change to vinegar. So back in the day with their techniques, wine was probably a more of a fresh cultured beverage, very live probiotic grape juice mm-hmm. that probably, let's say the alcohol content, instead of being 12 to 17%, like you might buy in a bottle of wine today, maybe it was five to 7%. I don't know. I'm guessing. Right. So more of a light alcohol, but the emphasis for your stomach and your frequent infirmities was probably referenced because of the micro flora promoting probiotic nature of cultured fermented grape juice. You're right. You're hundred percent correct. I mean, well, that, I mean, dry, I think there's one comp- dry farm wines. This is the name of the company that makes a wine that is pretty much as, as pure as you can get. But as as far as fermenting goes, man, we've come a long way in fermenting things. I mean, some of these breweries that the beer they come out with is just off the charts. So I'm a beer consumer, connoisseur, so I can't. Tequila, to mention tequila, you mentioned tequila and I have a rough go, so I stay away from that. (laughs) We're not very good friends. I, I would agree on that one. I think I get the, the idea of that. And I don't know why it is. I'd have to study it again. But I know there was uh, someone that wrote a book called The Earth Diet. Right. And for some reason, that was the preferred Alcohol. alcoholic beverage. Yeah, for whatever reason. I, I They say that in, in a lot of circles about when you're, the tequila is a pure, or the best form of alcohol if you have to have alcohol. But that. I'll stick with the bourbon on that aspect of it because the tequila <laughs> makes tequila puts a battery on my shoulder for all those of you old enough to know what the battery on your shoulder is. Anyway, let's dive. You're known as the aloe vera guy. So let's dive into aloe here because you know, go ahead. As a chiropractor, I have to tell you about this guy, Rodney Stockton, one of my patients (laughs) years ago, and he would come in the office with these bottles of aloe vera telling me I had to make sure all my patients were on it. And he was extremely convincing because he would tell anyone with cancer, oh, just drink a few glasses of this every day and you'll be fine. He, He would treat cancer like it was the sniffles. Oh, just have some of this. You'll be fine. Well, I never really paid it much attention. And years later, one of my patients had a, a horrible cancer, a stage four pancreatic cancer. Okay. And it had metastasized to liver and intestines. And from a surgical uh, perspective, it wasn't an option because there was just too much cancer. You can't take the whole organs out and expect somebody to live. And I, I told her, I said, this guy, Rodney Stockton says, just drink three glasses of aloe vera a day and you'll be fine. I wouldn't recommend doing that. I would maybe do that and a bunch of other things like stop eating your cakes and start eating more fruits and vegetables and growing your own sprouts. And we changed everything about her diet, but it included three glasses of aloe vera every day for a few months. 
Okay. And during that time, Rodney Stockton was 96 years old and he died of a heart attack. Oh. Yeah. And, but my patient's already getting significantly better. In fact, when she had gone for some follow-up scans, I think it was four months later, they said, this is amazing. You only have two little tumors on your liver now, and we can take those right out. You'll be fine. So they had seen this complete turnaround, and it was at that point that she decided to incorporate medicine and mix the two, continued doing what she was doing. I said, I looked at it and thought, well, you're already getting well. Why would you change what you're doing? But I'll support you if you continue to do these things, because what you're doing is clearly working. Don't stop juicing and which I'm not saying is the healthiest diet, but a, a fruit and vegetable and herb diet seems to be probably the best for detoxing, cleansing, anti-cancer diet. So, uh, I recommended that she continue doing those things. And that was, boy, I guess we're going on 12 years now and she is still cancer free to the best of my knowledge. I know she's still alive and she's not my patient anymore, but at that point in time, I started looking at aloe vera from a whole new perspective. And as my aloe vera supply, which was Rodney Stockton was dwindling because the company was failing without him. I had talked to his former wife who asked me to, if, she, if I could help her. And we decided to save that, that, that line of aloe vera. Well, I remember finding this drawer full of testimonials and I assumed that if I had followed up with those people, they'd all be dead anyway. So because you get the testimonial when they think they're well. And, and that was my thinking at the time. And I, I saw the value in this product, but I was determined to only talk about gut health because it's accepted that aloe vera helps people with their guts. But I was bothered by so many testimonials that I had to start following up with them. And what I had found out that is a lot of them were still alive. And the ones that had moved on, their family would say, oh, no, they died 35 years later, cancer free of old age. My aunt died when she was 86. That She lived 35 years later from uh, when she was given two weeks to live by the medical doctors failing. One guy said, no, my dad went on to live another decade. He died in his eighties of old age and a broken heart when, because he said, my mom died, but he died cancer free. So the ones that had died, their family is saying cancer free from old age. And the ones that were still living said, oh, that, that saved my life. Well, I still not determined to sell aloe vera as a cancer cure because it's not, and I never will sell it as a cure. I will talk to people about changing their lifestyle and getting rid of all the negatives, whether it's food, thoughts, lack of sleep, and changing things so that their body has what it needs to do what it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And aloe vera might be part of that plan. And scientifically, there's very good reasons for it on how it works on the immune system. Tell you about those. That might be a whole nother podcast. But the, the, the fact is, as I, I was learning that there was a lot more to aloe vera than just it being just another plant, some plants, some foods we call superfoods, right? Because they do something 
physiologically uh, above and beyond what you might expect from a typical food that is really, for the most part, pre- providing you with macronutrients, fats, carbohydrates, proteins. They have something in them that does something almost measurably physiologically different. And aloe vera was definitely one of those plants. It's interesting because aloe vera has been around for like 600,000 plus years. Yeah, well, people have been using it for, we, we see it written on walls and tombs and stuff like that. So people have not only been using it, but it became, you know, a part of the recorded history demonstrating the importance and value placed on it as if a treasure. And the Egyptian pharaohs used it as a, a funeral gift. Yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard that Cleopatra would bathe in it right. to promote youth, her youthfulness. But what we know it as is, oh, you put it on a sunburn. Okay, but why? Well, it eases the pain, calms things down, and helps things heal faster. Okay, what about when you drink it? Well, kind of all those same things on the inside and more. And I think, and I'm thinking about the correlation with cancer, but doesn't it help with diabetes and blood sugar control as well? Yeah, it's funny. L- let me tell you a funny, well, cancer diabetes story in one. Okay. <laughs> I had a new employee working for me in my chiropractic office. And I had known her for years because she worked with the chiropractor that I went to. And he kind of moved on and retired. And so I hired her to work for me. And it was literally her second day on the job. And she came in my office kind of sad and what's going on. She said, well, I just found out that I have breast cancer again. Okay. All right. Don't freak out here. We're going to start changing some things. And the first thing I want you to do is start drinking this aloe vera. She was working for me. So I just handed her a couple bottles. I said, I want you to drink three glasses every day. And we're going to continue changing some other things in your life, but let's get you started on this right away. Well, the next day she came in and she was just in the bathroom all day long. Now, a lot of people don't know, but aloe vera, if you have aloe with the outer leaf, it has a tremendous laxative effect and you would never drink three glasses a day. In fact, you might have a tablespoon for its laxative effect. <laughs> it's potent stuff. Right. Well, I didn't say anything because I knew that I just gave her aloe vera from the inner leaf. So I know that I'm, I don't have anything to do with this, but I'm glad she's drinking aloe. The next day, she's in the bathroom again all day long. And at the end of the day, she came out and said, Dr. Haley, is it possible that the aloe could be running right through me? I said, oh, no. I said, well, not what I gave you. I said, I guess if you bought it from Whole Foods, yes. And those were literally my exact words. And she said, oh. I said, what do you mean, oh? Because I gave her two bottles of raw frozen aloe vera, melt it and start drinking it right away. She said, well, before I drank yours, I thought I would drink my husband's. He's drinking it for his diabetes. I said, "Oh, oh, how much did you drink? I said, where'd you get it? Well, he gets it from Whole Foods. (laughs) Nothing wrong with the Whole Foods and the aloe vera there, but the most prominent uh, brand there is a whole leaf aloe vera that people drink because they want the laxative effects. 
It's a completely different product with a different intended purpose. Well, she said, I couldn't drink three glasses. I could only do good two. I, I said, well, thank God, because three could have killed you. You don't drink that much aloe vera with the outer leaf because it's going to have a strong laxative effect and could throw off your you know, mineral balance and everything else and dehydrate you and cause other problems. The inner leaf, it's, if I eat an orange, I don't just bite into it. I peel it first right. or banana. It doesn't mean you can't eat those things, but there are phytochemicals in there that are made to protect the what's on the inside. And those might be able to be used medicinally in small amounts, but probably going to cause some irritation in large amounts. And you might have other problems. We use the outside of the oranges to make cleaners and, and pesticides and things like that. Doesn't mean they're going to kill you in small amounts. Anyway, Aloe vera is the same way. The outer leaf is going to cause some severe problems if you have it in large amounts. Small amounts might be beneficial. I don't think it's the right way to treat constipation. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit's not going to hurt you, but you're missing the goodness on the inside. Okay, so how, I mean, you go to the grocery store and you see these aloe vera leaves at Sprouts and uh, Whole Foods, some people will recommend cutting off about an inch or two slice and throwing it in the blender in your smoothie with the outer leaf on it, which isn't going to hurt you. And it might have a small laxative effect. It's probably going to taste horrible because the stuff that comes out of that outer leaf is so bitter. Now, when you cut that inch section off, it's probably going to bleed the bitter stuff out. And if you rinse it before throwing it in the blender, it probably won't taste that bad, but it's that super bitter sap. It's like this brownish yellow stuff that leaks out of the green part of the aloe vera. That's what has the laxative effect. Okay. And that's what, if you put it straight on your tongue, you'll make that face of like a baby makes when they bite into a lemon for the first time, <laughs> just horrible. Well, the inner gel is like, it's been referred to as the crystal because you can almost see through it. And it's this super slippery, slimy stuff. And if you fillet it properly and cut the ends off and bleed the sap out and then rinse it and then skin the leaf and take that gel out, you're not going to have that sap on it. And if you put it in the blender and turn it into like a drink, something drinkable, it'll, I've heard it likened to drinking out of a garden hose. If you've ever done that as a kid, some of us are old enough to remember drinking out of a garden <laughs> hose. It didn't, it still tasted like water, but it had a slightly different taste. And that's kind of what aloe vera tastes like. Okay. Yeah. Now aloe vera has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties, anti-inflammatory properties. Yeah, there's a, which most vegetation plants and phytochemicals will have those properties. Right. They're antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. They help regulate hormones. They increase intercellular communication. And there's so many benefits to all these different plant chemicals. With aloe vera, what it's probably known for the most is this particular sugar called mannose. When we think of sugar, we think of glucose, sucrose, fructose, lactose. Mannose 
is another sugar molecule. And right. it's one that acts very differently because we think sugar bad. And actually, usually sugar in the processed form is bad. It doesn't mean that having an apple with some naturally occurring sugars is bad. They seem to work together good when you eat them in the whole fruit. But mannose is still a very different sugar. And it seems that it doesn't process like other sugars. I don't know enough about this, but I will tell you what I do know. Somehow, instead of raising blood sugar levels, it lowers them, which is why people with diabetes use it to help control their sugar levels. In cancer, it's interesting because apparently what happens is the cancer cells try to eat the mannose and they bind to it, but they can't actually digest it. And the best picture I could say to, to make, if I were to draw a cartoon of what it would be like, imagine opening your mouth as wide as you can and biting into the biggest apple you could find, but it was too hard of an apple and you couldn't bite all the way through it. And your only way out was to open your mouth big enough to let go of it, but you realize you couldn't. Somehow you stretch your mouth open and you just couldn't get it out of your mouth. That's kind of how it is for a cancer cell that binds to it and can't actually consume it, but can't release it. And because it can't release it, it kind of stops it from eating glucose, which would be its normal favored fuel source. So the cancer cells somehow starve to death while waving this red flag. And that red flag is the mannose sugar molecule that is a signal to the macrophage to come eat it. So we're starving the cancer cells and alerting the immune system that I'm a cell that has to be dealt with. And then the macrophages actually come and consume that cancer cell. That's one of the ways it works in addition to increasing tumor necrosis factor and, and interleukins and interference and things that essentially help your immune system to better recognize cancers. Huh. That's pretty interesting. What about the polyphenols in, 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 the, in the aloe vera? I don't know much about the polyphenol content. Okay. I know enough about polyphenols to tell you, I don't know how much is in aloe vera. We think of them more as their antioxidant properties. Right. But the molecules that we're seeing as important in, in aloe vera specifically is the, well, ace mannin, which is the, essentially broken down into the mannose. And we've studied ace mannin, we've studied mannose and how those things work in the body. And then somehow we recognize that aloe vera, one of the things it's known for is increasing blood flow. Okay. Whether it's stimulating angiogenesis or whatever it's doing, somehow it's bringing the blood to that area. And with that comes the whole, you know, immune system, time to clean this area up thing. So it seems to help regenerate skin tissue, regenerate gut tissue, and somehow improve the immune system, whether it's topically or internally. So what do you recommend for dosages? That's a real good question. And my answer is actually going to be Maybe helpful for people in knowing how much they should use, but it's not really an answer. Okay. Because it's different for everybody. And people will sometimes go to the doctor and they'll do muscle testing to help determine how much of something you need. I think we all have the ability to do that without even doing the muscle testing. So for me, it's a mental gymnastic. 
And that mental gymnastic is going to work better once you have experience with something. So we could be talking about how much yogurt should I eat? How much sauerkraut should I have? How many probiotics? How much aloe vera should I drink? Once you've consumed aloe vera, you'll be more familiar with it and you'll be able to tap into that subconscious a little better. That helps you understand how much you should have. But imagine, Tom, that I said, well, I want you to start out with a gallon a day. <laughs> Something in you would, yeah, there you go. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I really want you to have half a teaspoon. And you probably laugh at that too. What's a half a teaspoon a day going to do? Right. All right. There is an amount that I'll say that's going to make more sense. Okay. Start off with a half gallon. That still seems a lot. Start off with two tablespoons. That still seems like I, mean, I should probably have more. And remember, you've already drinking some. So you kind of know, and you've seen other people drink some, and some people drink a couple tablespoons and some people drink a cup at a time. All right. What about a quart a day? What about a half a cup a day? And at some point I'm going to say an amount that feels right to you, or you're going to drink an amount and you and it's going to feel right to you, or you're going to, I don't know, pour something in the glass. Okay. Do you, you know, okay. Do you see how much is in there? Do you think you should be pouring more in it or, or do you feel like you poured too much? You already know how much you should have, but it's really just paying attention to that. And that's the same thing for everything we eat or drink. Right. We already know the answer. We just have to listen to that voice. And the more familiar we are with that food and what it does in us, the better we understand and the better we can listen to that voice. So I tell most of my customers to start out with a glass a day for the first week, just to get familiar with it and then decide how much you should be having every day or how many times a day. Was it better to, well, should I drink eight ounces all at once? Well, for the first week, go ahead and do that. The second week, you might want to have four ounces a day. And you might want to do two ounces in the morning and two ounces in the evening. I don't know. Everybody's different. Okay. You might want to have more than that. When it came to the uh, person I told you about earlier that had stage four pancreatic cancer, I did tell her three full glasses a day. Now, that's what Rodney Stockton used to recommend. And it was his only trick. He didn't tell them to even stop eating fast food. He didn't tell them to eat fruits and vegetables. So I'm changing a lot of things. I don't know they need three glasses of aloe, but I do know that consuming too much good nutrition is never going to really be a problem when you're dealing with whole foods. Okay. As long as you're, if you're eating enough to satisfy your current needs, you're not binging, you're just eating until your body says, okay, I've eaten enough now. And you're consuming whole foods. You're not going to overdose on whole foods. Now let's talk about Stockton one here. Yeah. That one was really important to Rodney. Yeah. Stockton. <laughs> Where he's is number one. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I remember when he was my, my patient and before I ever had any interest in aloe vera, it was around 1995. And we were talking about domain names at the time. I said, well, you got to secure your domain name. I said, I wouldn't do aloe one because you can't do the number one. There's a confusion. And at the time he probably could have got aloe.com because it was at the very beginning of domain names, but he got aloe one.com. I said, the one's important to you. You might as well get it. 
And I, I took over that domain name eventually. I never knew it would ever be something that 15 years later, that would be mine. Right. right. <laughs> but, but the number one, because no, we're number one, we're the best. Well, how are you the best? And it's, I didn't understand it then, but literally the only commercially available, a hundred percent pure, it's unfiltered, it's raw. It's never been pasteurized. That is nothing has ever been added to it. No preservatives or anything. So it's just straight out. It's hand filleted. And then that crystal, the inner part of the leaf is run through a, a grinder that turns it into something that's drinkable. And it's put in the containers that are then put into the freezer. That is the process and we're shipping it frozen all over the United States and some parts of the world. We ship it to Canada. We have some customers that will pay for shipping to the other side of the world, but it's expensive to get it there in, in two days, especially frozen. Yeah. But it's important to enough people. The only other place you're going to find hundred, what we have is if you somehow get the fresh leaves and do it yourself. And which is fine. And that would be better for you really, because it's right there, right out of the garden is always better. And you can go to the YouTube, go to YouTube and say how to fillet aloe vera. You'll probably see my video and, and it'll show you exactly how to do it. That's probably the best option. But so do you, when you buy it, you ship it frozen. Do you have to keep it frozen once you get it home? You're going to treat it like you would any other raw fruit juice, which means you're going to use it up in a short period of time. Now, aloe vera does not ferment like grape juice and become wine in the course of a few days. It okay. seems to last in the refrigerator uh, longer. Like, so we'll tell people use it in seven to 10 days. And if you're not going to use it in that short of a time, melt the entire bottle, pour it into smaller containers and refreeze them to take out as necessary. See, so if you buy, I'm looking at, I'm going to your site right now because you sell it by the gallon yeah it is expensive and therefore people will save money and some will buy it by the bucket you see a bucket there yep it's i see like a five gallon painter's bucket yep it has four gallons of aloe well it's a five gallon bucket i'd only put four in there because when we freeze it it gets bigger and it fills the whole bucket yeah i was gonna say <laughs> so people will melt that and bottle it themselves you know why i like that so much and this is why there's uh, why it's cheaper when you buy more. When you buy two at a time, there's a certain price. And that right. two, two bottles goes in the same $10 worth of packing materials that four bottles goes into. Right. So when you get four, we're able to absorb the cost of the packing materials, the styrofoam. So we pass that savings on in the cost per bottle. When you get the bucket, we don't even put it in styrofoam. We, it leaves here frozen. We put it in a plastic bag that goes in a box and we send that out to you. And that's our greenest way. And you continue to reuse the same bottles over and over that you have at your home. You can get it. We'll send them with your first bucket if you need it. So that's the greenest, no styrofoam on the mountain. It's supposed to melt on its way to you so that you can pour it into your smaller containers and refreeze them to take out as necessary. Okay. Yeah. I was just looking at the bucket. I'm like, how am I going to get a bucket in my freezer? <laughs> But yeah. you send out the bottles so I can put the bottles in the freezer. Yeah. So if you imagine like a four half gallon milk carton, I'm uh, not four, uh, nine, nine half gallon milk cartons, uh, three right. by three, that's about how much space it'll take in your freezer. Well, there's a lot of benefits to aloe. And I looked up a lot of stuff this week and I, I was pretty impressed. And 
I brought up stem cells. I'm not sure. I haven't dug into that literature yet on what aloe does to the circulating stem cells. But I know aloe is full of vitamins and vitamin A, one of the big ones, and B12. There's a lot of amino acids. There's like seven of the nine essential acid amino acids in aloe. It's interesting. It's a, yeah. It's like a superfood. Absolutely. For sure. It has to be because of the, the, the way it reacts with sugar is why it's, is a, you know, is, is what the cancer, because cancer feeds on sugar. So if it's feeding on the aloe and, and thinking it's sugar, <laughs> that's a good way to fool cancer. Yeah. And, and that mechanism does seem related to how, you know, well, how does it lower blood sugar levels? Well, right. it's technically broken down into a sugar and, but mannose just doesn't process like other sugars. Huh. And it seems to dupe the cancer and send a signal to the immune system to come eat that cell. So there's some, there's other ways that it helps. The Hippocrates Health Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida did a little study and they give supplements to their people. So they divided them into two groups. And one group got, I believe, two tablespoons of aloe vera with their supplements, and the other group just the supplements. Mm. They tested the blood of the two groups, and the group that got the aloe vera, their blood tested higher for every single nutrient they tested. So somehow the aloe vera helped them to absorb more nutrients from the supplements, somehow by making the gut healthier or something like that. It somehow changed things and made people absorb more. Well, that's another path that it could help people to better health is just by absorbing your nutrition. Right. We know that it makes the gut healthier and we know that's where the immune system is. Okay. Another potential mechanism. There's all kinds of potential mechanisms to better health. There's all kinds of reasons why we consider this a superfood. And uh, they've obviously known that since the beginning of recorded history. Is there anything that you'd like to leave with the listeners with before we close this out? I thank you for what you're doing. You have a huge following. I, I know you've done over a hundred podcasts, five, and, five plus years. And, and you're just really helping people understand the importance of this uh, gut health. And I hope the way we presented it today was from a little bit of a new perspective and that people can really say, that's right. I'm responsible for feeding that microbiome. What I do for them from chewing my food and what I'm chewing and giving to them, it matters and it makes a difference. Good, good, good. I love it. Before I go, where can the, I'm going to put the links in the show notes, but where can people find you? The single easiest place to find me is my blog, which is drhaley.com, D R H A L E Y.com. Okay. And on the bottom of that page should be a link to everything else from the Haley nutrition website, where the aloe vera is to our YouTube channels and everything else. That's probably the best place to stop. I have to add that your YouTube channel is amazing. Oh, thank you. And you have a podcast as well. That I do the Dr. Haley show. The Dr. Haley show. Yep. That's a lot of work, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. And I'm still on, on the ground floor on that. I'm a little over 20 episodes. Yeah. I've had some stellar guests. I'd love to tell you about some. You'd probably love to have some of them on your show. Absolutely. Some very interesting people. 
and this is one of the neat things that's uh, about podcasting. I, I can think of, um, Sander Katz, for instance, he wrote a book called wild fermentation mm -hmm. and I talked to him for a good hour and my face hurt at the end of that hour from smiling the whole time. Yeah, It, it was just such a pleasure and so informative and someone from a whole different perspective, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, it's just like, wow, I can't believe I'm talking to Dr. Natasha McBride. My face hurts again. Yeah, I, I, Tim White, you should have him on your show. Tim White. Yeah, uh, raw living spirulina. This guy's just a nut. He just, he's like, you can imagine him surviving in the jungle on nothing but <laughs> coconuts and algae. <laughs> he grows raw algae and essentially puts it in a jar and ships it to his customers and you eat it with a spoon. Wow. It's amazing. Delicious. It's just that what well, there's people like that out there. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm looking forward to trying this aloe out. pure raw aloe. We'll get it sent out to you today. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. And before you go, one question that doesn't have anything to do with aloe or medicine. If Dr. Haley had an hour or let's say 30 to 45 minutes to chill or kill, what album or artist would you listen to? Oh, man. I love music, but I might not have any playing. I might just sit by my drum set and see what I could do with okay. it and make my own sounds. One of my favorite things to do is to swing pieces of wood like clubs and hit things with them to make noise and try to make music <laughs> out of it. Who's your favorite drummer? I was influenced by the band Rush okay. and Neil, Neil Peart. But nowadays, if I was to start over... Oh, oh man. I'm picturing so many of them like yeah. Chris Coleman. Oh, what a phenomenal drummer. Yeah. And I wish I could remember the name of this one guy that is just amazing. The things they're doing now, because they can go to YouTube and say right. how to play this and up come a bunch of drummers that show you how to play these things. Wow. What an advantage musicians have Oh yeah. today. Yeah. And, but there are some amazing talented drummers out there. Oh yeah. I mean, a uh, guy from Dave Matthews, he's a monster. Yeah, I saw him in concert a few times, and I remember seeing a, a video on him, and somebody put together a collection of a certain drum fill he did in the same song, but every time he played the song, it was a completely different drum fill. And it was just like, wow, how'd you do that? How do you come up with so many unique things to fill that space yeah. with in the same song over and over again? It's crazy. All right, brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate taking the time today to be on the show and have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you, Tom. You too. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.